Hey guys, welcome uh, back for week number nine. This is this is crazy. Nine, wow. And, um, and I, this has been so great. And welcome everybody. We're so glad that you're here and joining us today. Uh, today is our final Sunday of in black and white, but it is not the end. In fact, I, I really feel like this needs to be the beginning of something new for all of us, uh, for our churches and everything else. Let me let me just say this real quick. You're going to see that. Uh, the three of us have our communion cup and bread ready to go for uh, the end of today's uh, time together. We are sharing communion as three churches. So if you weren't prepared for this, even right now, uh, go find some juice and some crackers. Bring uh, You can have your family together for communion at the end. We're going to share that together as three churches, and I'm really excited about yes. doing that. We've mm-hmm. this this is going to be great. Yes, it's, it is. Uh, it's Zoom communion. Zoom union. Uh, like yeah, that. so uh, we'll we'll do our best. Um, well, thank you guys for the questions. We we got a ton of questions and and some fantastic ones. Uh, we had to pick some because we didn't have time to do all of them, and we're going to be really pushed today. But we're wanna, we, I want to just jump right in on the questions. Let's get started. Yeah. Uh, again, you can see where people are growing, where, where we're changing. Yeah. We're asking really good questions here. And, and so um, I'm just going to start. And we've kind of combined two questions into one because I think they talk about the same thing. Um, first of all, what is a tangible way that Destiny Church, City Hills Church, and Life Ticket Church are going to bridge the racial gap within our own churches and community. And then following that, what are our church's approach and actions to ensure, and I love this, to ensure this continues to be forefront for the church after the series is over? Yeah. And that is our dream. That's our hope. So who wants to start? Well, I'll start. Uh, so one of the things that at our church, uh, we had a few people who came forward who had a desire to really be a part of the solution. And as this question asked, what is our approach? What are our actions to make sure this is not just a series, but how do we go from here? So one of the things that we're looking at is how to build or form a civic engagement ministry where we work together with our local elected officials and our local law enforcement department to bring visibility, but not only visibility and transparency, but where our law enforcement can come together and share with the community uh, based on like their rights and understanding uh, their citizens' rights and, and teaching um, how to engage with the police. So this is just a, a snippet, but it's a, it's a great opportunity and example of some of the things we can do to make sure this is not just a series, but where can we go from here? Okay. How do you see our three churches pulling this off? Um, I, I know we've had conversations about this as we've been um, in, in this series the last couple of months. Um, I would love, and we've talked about this off camera, but uh, doing corporate events um, with our churches together, bringing them together. I I love the idea that one of the things I'm excited about is this gives us the opportunity um, to actually be the capital C church um, and understand that we in our one local church aren't isolated and we don't have to pull this off by ourselves. But if we come together together, uh, multiracial churches, white churches, black churches, everybody coming together, getting outside of our four walls and uh, taking actionable steps in the community together, we can make a bigger 
footprint yes. in our community for change. And we've we've had these discussions in terms of getting together for corporate worship, but then also finding ways that we can engage our community um, and resource one another um, to help bring about those changes. Yeah, and I know it is so hard to even imagine yeah. coming together right, right. now because right. we Under can't even yeah. bring yeah. our own individual <laughs> churches yeah. together yeah. Uh, in so many ways. But, you know, we are, we're working on something um, that uh, I hope we can pull this off. Uh, we're going to start late August with outdoor stuff just as a church on a Friday night kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it will extend to the community at some point because we people just are, are sick of being locked down. Yeah. So we have to do this in a very responsible and healthy manner. Uh, but I think one of the things that we really need to do, we, we've all, we're friends. Yeah. And we've known each other for quite a while now. Uh, I think it'd just be amazing for our churches to be friends. Yeah. yeah. And, yes. and um, one, of the, the, one of the things I wanted to bring up on this, and then we'll go to the next question, uh, Tony Evans talks about three things that need to happen in the church, and I think he's right. Number one, accept personal responsibility, and we've talked a lot about that in recent weeks. Number two, and I think that's what we're talking about here, is unite churches. Let's come together. Yep. It, it yes. doesn't mean we all have to live together. We're just going to <laughs> hang out. I, I don't live with you guys, but, <laughs> yeah. but I'm coming over for dinner. Um, <laughs> yes. but, then, but then together we implement biblical justice. Yeah. Yep. We have to be about justice and righteousness. We've got to grow in our faith, and we've got to grow uh, in bringing justice uh, to to the people for the people around us. And yeah. um, you know, Matthew five thirteen says talks about the church. We're supposed to be the salt and the light. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. we're we're supposed to be the change agents in the world around us, and you can't do that if you're if you're not together. It's just yeah. just yes. impossible. Yeah. Absolutely. And I would just tackle real quick on, on that is I think, you know, the church is um, called to not only be culture culture creators, but also culture carriers, carriers yeah. um, of the kingdom of God in the middle of a fallen world. And so I think one way to embrace this in a in a practical way is to always be open to whatever opportunities come uh, our way. And so I think that's, we, we paint ourselves in a corner if we just say, okay, here's the blueprint and we're going to, we're going to, you know, go by the blueprint. Not that we don't have plans, but we also have the ability to call audibles um, because culture is ever changing. Um, all of these issues, issues around us are ever changing. And so I think um, as the church, if we stay attentive and say, hey, this is an important thing to us. Um, this is part of our DNA. We've talked about that. Mm-hmm. And so as part of our DNA, we're going to look for opportunities as they arise and present themselves for us to jump in in any way that we can and make yep. an impact. And be so together. Be yes. together. Be do together. it. Absolutely. All right. The next one. What are we going to change about how we teach our children and our youth? Are we clear about biblical justice? Are we teaching that Jesus was not white? We should be if we're not. (laughs) Um, I don't know how much we need to teach our children. I think we probably could look to them. And they, yeah. they, they could they're be probably teaching, teaching us, us right? Because you know, sometimes we we drag them down. But you guys have some thoughts about that? Yeah, I did. Uh, so one of my first thoughts is that anyone who prevents or hinders another person from living life to the full, which is what mm. Jesus Christ paid the price for us to have, is working against biblical justice. Yes. And 
we have to teach that to our children. I have to teach that to my children. I believe uh, another thing that's important to teach our children is that America is not God's nation. God's nation is the kingdom of God. And our desire is to make our nation and our community and our families to look like the kingdom of God. And we have to be really uh, transparent and, and, and truthful about where we as a nation don't align with God's kingdom and, and work towards that. So it's important that we teach that. Another thing that I wanted to bring out is justice. I wrote this down. Justice is defined as just treatment. So if we're being clear about it, then justice is something that really none of us deserved. Right. We don't deserve justice as a human race, but it's because of the grace of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, because of what he did that now, even though we were all born into sin, even though we all have fallen short of the glory of God, that because of what Jesus did, we now receive that unmerited favor, that, that grace that comes from God, which means that we all deserve justice because of Jesus Christ. So in that question about uh, are we clear about biblical justice is that, you know, while we didn't deserve it, Jesus Christ paid the price for us all to have it. And if anyone gets in the way of or hinders or tries to block uh, that life to the full, that abundant life that we preach and teach, John 10 and 10, then we're getting in the way of what biblical justice is supposed to be about. Yeah, yeah. so good. Um, I would just add in terms of, you know, talking to our children and teaching our children, um, I think that this question goes at the heart to some degree of what we've been talking about the last uh, several weeks in these discussions that we teach our children as parents based on a biblical ethic, not based on anything other than that. And you talked about that, um, Dorian, that that we don't teach them as uh, Americans, and this is how you're supposed to think. Is it, again, not throwing out or whatever in terms of country. We all love our country. but, But we are to teach them based on a biblical ethic. And we have biblical precedent for that because early on in Scripture, when when God delivered his people from... Uh, Egyptian bondage, what was the first thing he did? One of the first things he did was he says, okay, we're going to start an annual feast yeah, yeah. Uh, called the Passover, and um, you're going to sit down with your family, and you're going to recall and recount what happened. And then in Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, right, where, where he gives Israel, those, he tells them, you teach your children in the morning when, you, when they rise up, you teach your children when you put them to bed, you teach them when you're eating, you teach them going this way, going that way. What was, G, what was God telling his people? He said, it is your job to educate your children based upon the kingdom of God and its principles, right? mm, yeah. not mm. the surrounding culture. And so no matter what culture you're in, remember, they're just coming out of 400 years mm-hmm. in Egypt, and they don't even have a land. They don't have a country. They're nomads. As a matter of fact, they're fixing to go 40 years in a wilderness, right? Yeah. But, but you, you teach them my principles and my ways. And I think that... That if we take a biblical ethic when we instill um, these things in our children, that it's it goes a long way um, in, in in guiding those conversations. And in terms of like teaching, you know, whether Jesus was black or not, I I, I choose to teach my children um, that Jesus in His context. I think where we got it wrong as a church a lot of times, whether you're talking about race or lots of cultural issues, maybe where the church has got a little bit wrong, is when we always pull Jesus or the church out of its setting in the New Testament. And we teach that Jesus was a first century Jewish man 
living in Palestine under Roman oppression. This is where he spoke from. Mm -hmm. And he was brown-skinned. He was dark-skinned. But, but he came from an oppressed people. And, and this is the real Jesus. And this is why he took the stance he did. This is why he said some of those things he did. And as long as we keep it in that context... Um, I think that it points us to the heart of, of God. Yeah, I, I love that. And the other thing is, uh, I look at, in, in Colossians 1.15, it talks about how Jesus made the invisible God yes. visible. And for me, when I think about what, what he made visible is, is his appearing didn't teach me how to be a, a black male. His appearing didn't teach me how to be a male or black but it taught me what it means to be a human being. Yes. And when yes. I, and, and, and Jesus put the light on that. What does it mean to be a human in this earth? Yeah. And I love everything you brought out about, I mean, there's, there's scripture. I think the question asks, are there visual representations? And uh, I looked in Revelation 115, and it talks about his feet are like fine brass. And Daniel 7, 9 says that his hair, the hair of his head was like pure wool. Uh, so there are some descriptors there. Uh, that that share you know what what his appearing was like as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> I love this guy. We are having yeah. to fly through yeah, these questions. Go. We got a lot. We got a lot to go, go oh, here. Man. Yeah. Hang in there with us. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm like talking like machine gun. Yeah. How can we begin to incorporate worship in different ways to better appreciate our cultural differences mm. and yet similar faith? in God. Mm. So I think first we've got to talk about what worship is. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. um yeah. I'm, yeah. Go I, for it guys. I'll yeah, I, I love this topic. And for worship leaders out there, I'm sure you, you guys uh, love this topic as well. I think that we've reduced worship to, you know, a song or or the a creative expression. And when we understand that what worship truly is, it, it comes out of our relationship with God. And mm. out of your relationship with God, because you have intimacy and fellowship with him you have a desire to give him the love back that he's already poured into you. Now, that looks different for all of us. And I was thinking about this, not, not even just from the terms of how we sing songs or the music that we do in our churches and how it might be different in a black church or a white church. First of all, uh, not all black people in churches want to hear black gospel music. And not all white people want to hear contemporary Christian music, CCM. Yeah. So even if you're white or if you're black, does not mean you automatically, you know, align but with a certain... But nobody wants to hear country music. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wouldn't say that's true either. Yeah. I would say I have a good friend of mine as a black cowboy, so he, he loves country music. Uh, but, but yeah, I think that w when we look at what worship truly is, and I think about not only the singing, but even how we pray... And I've heard people that will pray when they're praying to God will say, you know, Father or Father mm -hmm. God. And somebody else, when they pray, they may say Daddy or someone else says Papa. And the reason I mention that is I might not feel comfortable or it might not be genuine when I pray mm -hmm. for me to start to try to pray like you, Jeffrey, or right. whoever it is. And I start saying Papa. It might be awkward for me. So the important thing is that we are genuine, yeah. that we are authentic in our, in our worship giving it unto God. And then people will connect with your, your authenticity mm -hmm. because you, you have a love for God and your worship. Yeah. Okay. So good. Yeah. All right. So this is, this is a fun question. Seeing the unrest in Oregon, how the mom shielded the protesters and how Trump's army tear gassed, shot rubber bullets and arrested these moms. Why is it that more church officials have not come together to meet with city, state and federal government 
to help ease the tension that's being created by the decision to hurt innocent people. Mm. Okay, so we're in it now. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. You're well, the elder among us. <laughs> excellent. Why well, take I, off? <laughs> actually, I think this would be a great question for us if if we lived in Oregon. Yeah, yes. we were, we were yeah. Portland Trailblazers. Yeah. Um, I have friends in Oregon, and and they love Jesus. Uh, yeah. Maybe I should have talked to them. Uh, I think, um, first of all, we have enough problems right here in Northern Virginia. Yeah. Uh, that This is where God has put our church, yeah. the church here. Yeah. And, um, and I, I will tell you this. If something is happening with the church in Oregon, mm-hmm. you're not going to hear about it in right. the news. Right. right. You know, it's 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 going to be taking place in Oregon. That's and there's some, catch there's the some great yeah, yeah, there are some great churches in Oregon, so I'm I'm trusting that God's doing what he's going to do there. Yes. Probably the bigger question w- would be what are we doing yes. here? Yeah. You know, it, right now Oregon is kind of a hot spot in terms of, of the news. But aren't we having this problem everywhere right. where where people are just being treated yeah. unjustly? Yeah, and that's why for us, at, so at Life Ticket Church, we're still really in the beginning stages of this, but we've built some relationships with uh, local elected officials, the mayor, the town council, uh, as well as the local law enforcement for us as the Herndon Police Department to begin that work. But as, as you just mentioned, um, it's not it's not headlines, you know, when yeah. when we're working in these with these in these relationships. But it's a good point to say that we're doing this work, that same work, and even better may be being done in Oregon right now. We can't really speak right. to that, uh, but we have to do what we can within within our own communities. So I pray that we can continue that work. Yeah, and I I think we always have to have our ear to the ground. Yeah. One of, one of the things <clears throat> I'm just I'm speaking for me now, not even our church. Uh, I have this ability to have blinders on. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I, I process everything through what I know, what I see, and it's easy for me to know there are problems, but just not even want to look at them. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I think that's what has to go away. It has to. It, it, and and uh, there are more needs all around us, right in front of us. Yeah. But our, we're not focusing on that. We're not. Pr- and if you have a problem, I will say this: if you're having a problem, uh, knowing where the needs are, ask Jesus to yes. show you. Yeah, he'll because show. he will. Yeah. He, his, heart his heart is there. That's mm-hmm. where his heart is. So. Yeah. Um, so good. I, I so think. Good. I think that's yep. the answer. Uh, this is an interesting multi-question question yeah i've lived my life trying to look forward not in the rear view mirror Mm -hmm. i find that there have been many wrongs to gender and race however carrying an attitude for generations does not seem to be a solution please guide us as to how to look forward not pass on old ills i would like an honest discussion on how to go forward without false apologies for things i haven't done I do openly speak up for people who are being wronged and have been chastised for it in the past. Many of the charities and programs of the past have not worked. What is a way to mentor and help minorities to trust that all whites aren't hateful? How can we go forward to cure the ills of the past and heal our country? It's hard to feel vilified at every turn and makes it difficult for both parties. So... I, I love this question, and whoever wrote this, and I'm so glad you, you they shared their heart. Yeah. Um, 
uh, first, I wanted to say in regards to people feeling wronged is as far as people feeling wronged is it is true that there are some things that happened many years ago, but black people aren't only carrying an attitude or, or issue with things that happened generations ago. Um, there were racial injustices in 1865 and 1965, but I just wrote some stats down uh, for today in regards to some of the the things that are uh, that are a problem. And one of those things is with uh, black people dying at the hands of of police. And these are statistics you can you know certainly research them yourselves. In our American population, there are 191 there were 191 million white people in 2019. 42 million black people in 2019. So if you divide that 191, 191 million white people by the 42 million black people, that means there are 4.55 times more white people than black people. All right. So in 2019, 370 white people were killed by the police. So if you divide that number by 4.55, the 4.55 times more white people than black people, then the number of black people that should have been killed by the police would have been 82 if all things were proportionate and equal. So in 2019, however, there was 235 black people killed by the police in 2019. So if you divide that number 235 by the 82, which it should have been, then what you get is that there are 2.88 times higher black people that were killed by police. So that means in 2019, black people were killed by police three times more than white people. And the reason I know there was a lot of numbers I threw out there, but the reason I threw it out there is because people will look at that issue and say, and to the, to the point that was made, well, you know, people are having an attitude or an issue with things that happened years ago. Right. And this is yeah, not a rear yeah, this is, mirror Yeah, this issue. is, this is, is, is right now is that, yes, there were 370 white people killed versus the 235 black people. But when you look at the math, the amount of times that we were three times more killed by the police, black people were, than white people. The other point I wanted to share is, in, in answering this question, again, I, I really, this is probably my favorite question, again, for whoever wrote this, is um, in regards to looking forward. And because I am that way. I agree with looking forward. As a matter of fact, sometimes I do it to my own detriment. I do it even with regards to some of the things we did in response to what happened um, uh, recently. Um, but it, even though I live my life this way, there are some smarter people than me. I wrote this quote down, Winston Churchill quoted uh, George Santayana when he said, those who fail to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. And then uh, another one, Maya Angelou, she said this, I have great respect for the past. If you don't know where you've come from, you don't know where you're going. I have respect for the past, but I am a person of the moment. I'm here and I do my best to completely to be completely centered at the place I'm at, then I go forward to the next place. Um, now, as much as I love Maya Angelou and Winston Churchill, I love the word of God even more. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, <laughs> says, forget those things that are behind us and reach forward to those things ahead. And, and this, the way that we do this is by not being oblivious to the cause, meaning 
I can't say, okay, I'm going to forget the things that are behind me and be oblivious to the cause, but I need to be alert to the call of God. And that's what, what the scripture says, is that we press toward the mark, the high calling of our, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I just want, I know it was probably a long response and we got a lot of questions to do and it was a long question, uh, but I wanted to share that because I share, I feel the same way, is that I believe in like, hey, let's move forward. Let's, let's not just sit and, and hunker down in the past. But we have to learn from the past, number one. Yeah. And, and two, we can't just avoid the, the, the cause that we've been called to, but hear the call of God. And that's, that's yeah. important for us to do. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I, I think, so too, I think about that passage in Philippians. Paul knew that you would never forget. Right. Right? That wasn't what he was saying. He was saying, let go of it. Let go of it. And what that means is an acknowledgement of something bad happened. Yes. When, when somebody. That's good. When, when somebody says, you know, you're holding on to this, yeah. you need to forget it. So good. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Right. Yeah. You right. know, you'll never forget. No, you won't. Right. But when, you, when, when you're willing to stop letting it drive your life, yes. that's letting it go. So good. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's just part of how God has, has taught us oh, that's so good. Uh, yeah. to, to move forward. Yeah. So, yeah. So good. Okay. Um, let's see here. Then you know, you know what? Actually, I, let me. I want, yeah, go ahead. Me, yeah, because there's one more thing. It was, I don't even a, think it was I'm a done packed. This yet. Yeah, yeah, there was a packed. It was a packed question. So there was one other thing uh, in in this question where it asked about um, uh, about trust. About the question was, what is a way to mentor and help minorities to trust that that all whites aren't hateful? Um, and then how can we go forward to to heal our our, our country? Um, for me, I can't speak for all the black community, but I can speak for, for myself and probably a lot of black people. We don't need more apologies uh, or more sorries. We, what we want, it, we want to see action and change and hearts to be changed uh, so that we can all work together. But one of the things that I've learned in regards to building trust is that as much as God has proven himself to us, we still at times don't trust God, which yeah. lets me know that, you know, trust is not something that you can just, you know, do or just, you know, say a word and automatically, you know, someone's going to trust you. But we have to take the steps. And I, I love the question about, you know, as far as mentoring, um, there are certain things that we can do, even small things we can do that can make a big difference if we show that we are compassionate and that and that we care. So hopefully I hope that helps in regards to that, that question. But we do want to build that trust. There are steps that we can take uh, to, to make sure that we let people know that we care about them and that we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. Yeah. I, I think the, the one thing I want to add to this is something that that I learned after we started this uh, coming together here. The, uh, a friend of ours uh, sent me a book, or the name of a book, that I, I told you guys about. In fact, I think we talked about it on here. Something must be done about Prince Edward County. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I, um, it, has, it has rocked me, and, and here's why. When we talk about looking in the rearview mirror, I think we have to look back sometimes because we can't understand the domino effect of what has taken place because mm -hmm. of what happened back here. It's not holding on to something. People are living out lives because of a horrible decision yes. yeah. back here. Back so here. Yeah. so this particular story about Prince Edward County is it took place in Farmville, Virginia. But basically, um, 
these were children who were in school who were my age. Mm. So it hasn't been, well, it's been rather long ago, right? Don't, don't say a word. Stop smiling, all right? It, it was, it, but, but I try to put myself yeah. in those children's place. If all of a sudden, because your county does not want to uh, desegregate schools, mm. you decide that you're going to cancel the public school system altogether, and the only school you're going to have is a private white school. Mm. There were 400 children who are my age, maybe some of them a little older, my age today. 400 of those kids did not receive an education. Wow, yeah. Four years with no school, and then kind of a feeble attempt for three years after that with what was called the free school. These kids left school. Some of them, their parents shipped them off to mm. a relative in a distant place, and they actually lost the ability to parent their own children. Mm. But yeah. for the most part, these kids stopped their education. Wow. They worked on the farm, and then now then they had children, and they're being raised by people who had no education. Mm. And so the value of education decreased, right. and today their grandchildren are part of, of, of our world, part of our economy. That's what we did. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't a hundred years ago. Right. Yeah. It, it was half of that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and it is still bringing yeah. pain and repercussions. Yes. So you, you should look in the mirror yeah. backwards sometimes and say, wow, how did that happen? And what can we do now? Yeah. What must we do? We just can't yeah. sit and, and ignore it. I'm going to talk more about that a little bit That's later so on. Good. But uh, we, yeah. we, we have I think to it's look. I think it's ditches on, as is often the case with these issues, there's ditches on both sides of the road on the two extremes. You, got, yeah. you can be dismissive of the past, which is one ditch, um, and like, well, let's not even think about it. Or you, got, you get stuck in the past on the mm. other side. And we need to we need to stay on the road in the middle yeah. and understand that we need the past to because the past shapes us it forms us it's yeah. who we are it's why we're here and then it also can inform us of how to to be better uh, and do better Jesus uh, in the New Testament then God in the Old Testament we referenced it earlier Deuteronomy six God tells Israel keep telling the story yeah keep telling the story every year. Remind yourself where you come from. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that you're still a slave. Yeah. But you got to remember where you come from and where I'm taking you. You yeah. got to have it. You got to have both. It's good. So this next question, we all we all looked at these questions independently. This was the one we all we all came back with the same answer. How would you suggest approaching conversations around race with family members and people you love who don't necessarily see racism as an issue? Like people who deny racism exist or that they don't see how white privilege is a thing that they have benefited from. Um, we all had the same, same answer. Yeah. Prayer. Yeah. Pray. You, it starts with prayer mm-hmm. because um, these are hard heart issues. Yes. I, I mean, I don't know what else yeah. to say. Yeah. It's a yeah. hard heart issue. Mm. And you cannot, you know, I'm always amazed. And I'm, I'm always excited when I see people willing to change, willing to let their defense down long enough to listen and learn and begin yeah. to love. Mm-hmm. I, I never know who that's going to be. Yeah. There are people that I really wish 
would do this, and they don't, and and I expect them to, and then there are others I never expect them to, but God just comes yeah. in and, yeah. and blitzes them. So yeah. I don't know if you guys want to jump in on this, yeah. but it's, I, I would just add to that in terms of prayer, like um, you know, Jesus taught us. Uh, he told his followers in the New Testament, "Be wise as serpents mm. and harmless as doves." Right. Yeah. Oftentimes we reverse that. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're as wise as doves and just and, and is, and is like vipers going at it one another. And so hopefully we can reverse it. And whenever you enter into conversations like this, one thing that I try to do, and again it may not work for everybody, but me personally, I try to even though I may be talking to somebody that is just completely resistant to this idea you know, they've made up their mind. I at least try in my own heart, my mind and conversation to realize that there is a reason why everyone has a particular point of view. There's a reason why they're looking through the lens that they're looking through. Uh, doesn't justify their views, but there's something in their life experience, in their history, yes, yes. Um, that has shaped them, that has formed them, that has caused them to be cemented in this belief. And if I, as a person trying to approach, uh, you know, someone that may be resistant to this, at least we'll try to meet them on that ground and understand, like, I'm not here to attack you like a serpent. Mm. I want to be wise like a serpent, but I also want to be harmless. And I want to try to meet you where you're at. The only way that I can walk somebody from point A to point B is if I go to where they are. Again, that doesn't mean that I affirm their view. It doesn't right. mean that I agree with them. But I've got to at least be willing to build a bridge to where they are and have sympathy um, toward the person enough to give them a chance to change mm. and enter into those conversations prayerfully, um, enter into those conversations with, with the heart um, uh, of Jesus and try to find some sort of, of, of common ground. And then understand that God himself cannot change a person without their permission. Mm-hmm. 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 That's I mean, right. That's right. And, and That's so... True. There's just, I mean, if God himself can't do it, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pretty it. <laughs> limited in what I can actually accomplish. But it doesn't give me the right not to at least try. Mm-hmm. I think we can at least try to enter those conversations, try to help, you know, people in those, in those arenas. Um, but then at the end of the day, you know, they have to be willing to make the trip. Mm-hmm. And isn't it true that we are still having to do that with ourselves. Yes. yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's a constant work of the Holy Spirit. We I can't tell you spots. how much I, yeah. I've changed just in, in the last nine weeks in terms of things I've thought about and attitudes that needed to be adjusted and changed. And, and, and most of that has come from understanding things that I... Listening and learning and loving. I mean, those yeah. are the things we've been talking about mm-hmm. from day one. Absolutely. And we, we've got plenty to work on with just us. Yeah, you know? <laughs> right, yes. right. It, yes, so, absolutely. So this next one, uh, this is my favorite one. If, I, if, I'm, if, if there's one I want to go off on, it's, it's going to be this one. Uh, <laughs> what are the church's views on reparations? Mm-hmm. Do they help or is it a way for people to exploit others? Also the thought of me bearing the responsibility of something I could not stop and had no say in seems to go against scripture. And then there were two scriptures uh, given Ezekiel 18, 19 and 20, uh, Deuteronomy 24, 16. So um, I, I took the uh, opportunity to look both of those up and wanted to 
to see you know what these scriptures were saying and, and so I, I have some comments on that but I, guys jump in first and then um, I'll, I'll share what I really feel God's given me on this too um, yes in terms of taking responsibility of something that I couldn't stop um, um, uh, seeming to go against scripture I would I understand to some degree kind of where that comes from but I think in our conversations we talked about this for a few weeks it is um, as as a white man um, obviously I could not control anything that my ancestors done or previous generations done but it does not relieve me of responsibility and I think this actually goes to the very heart of the message of scripture because is not the gospel the story of Jesus just that yeah the Son of God coming in flesh and bearing the responsibility for something he did not um, have any uh, hand in. Right. He okay, took well that, on. That was, <laughs> I took that out of my. <laughs> he took on the sins of the world and he took it to a cross. Yeah. And then he looked yeah. at those that would follow him and said, "Pick up your cross." Yeah. Like if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, it's not about. The way of Jesus is not about um, equity in terms of, well, I only assume responsibility for what I'm directly responsible for. The way of Jesus is, no, I'm here to usher in the kingdom of God, and I do take responsibility for injustice, and I do take responsibility um, for things that, um, that, that maybe I had no hand in. I mean, Jesus told a parable of a good Samaritan, right? Mm-hmm. That he, there's this guy in a ditch bleeding about to die and religious people walk by walk by yeah. him and leave him there they they weren't responsible for that they didn't put him in that ditch but there's this samaritan who just so happened to be um a hated people group mm-hmm. by the very person that's in the ditch this the person in the ditch would have despised a samaritan this is why jesus is using this illustration and this samaritan stops he picks him up he dresses his wounds puts him on his 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 donkey and takes him to an inn and gets him bed food and then tells the guy at the inn if there anything needs there, anything yeah. else put it on my tab yeah now that Samaritan had no response he wasn't the robber he didn't put him in the ditch he didn't beat him up mm-hmm. but Jesus is painting a picture this is what it looks like yeah. to follow me this is what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus is that when you see people when they're hurting when they're marginalize all of those things, even though you may not have had a hand in it, we have a responsibility yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. to pick them up. Yeah. Yes. So I'll, I'll, I'll stop. I'll yeah. stop because I know we got to go on because okay. I know you have a lot to say. On I, this. I, go, I, take, well, take off. Yeah, I mean, you didn't leave me with that. <laughs> I, I do want to, uh, I, I, I'm stuck on this phrase, me bearing the responsibility of something I couldn't stop and had no say in seems to go against Scripture that is the epitome of Scripture. Yes. That is the Word. Yes. The Word is Jesus. And, and what Jesus did was exactly what you said. He, he did exactly what is, is the concern of the writer of this question. Yes. Right. I, I appreciate the question. Oh, I, I appreciate too. the honesty because it is, a, it is a big deal. And there are so many people who, who would jump in line and say, that's how I feel. This is, this is what I feel. And, and the scriptures in Ezekiel and Deuteronomy mm. uh, do not back this up. It's, it's a contextual issue. But those, were, were talking, those things were, scriptures were talking about the, the sins of the fathers <clears throat> not having, the sons don't have to pay 
the punishment for what they did, which right. is which is true. They just have to live with the fallout right. of what's going on. Mm-hmm. This was really about about sin and punishment. It wasn't about the responsibility of the believer. Yeah. So so let's let's understand. It is the best description of Jesus, what, what was just written here. It's exactly what we're supposed to do. Jesus dwelt with the oppressed. He ate with them. He comforted them. He fed them. He restored them. And he healed them. Mm. I mean, and nobody deserved it. Mm. In fact, you know, but Jesus just took on the responsibility. Ability, yes. And that's, that's it. Reparation. Now, this is a this is kind of an interesting thing, and I I am so proud of myself. Um, <laughs> I, I found this passage of scripture in Proverbs fourteen nine, and it's it's out of the uh, the Christian Standard Bible, which is is relatively new. But here's what it says: It says, "Fools mock at making reparation, mm. but there is a good there is goodwill among the upright." The the um, actual translation of that the word reparation here has to do with the guilt offering mm. in scripture, and and there was an offering for guilt that was given, but it was very costly, and it wasn't just a single person's guilt; it was just guilt in general. I mean, we are guilty, yes, no, no matter who we are, right? So the guilt offering was the way it was a, it was one of the most costly offerings that was offered by people to God mm. it was done as reparation it was done to repair what was broken mm. now the, in my opinion as you begin to study uh, biblical economics and there's an entire teaching on biblical economics i don't necessarily believe that we just hand out cash to, to groups of people for something that happened 200 years ago. But as we look in the rearview mirror and we see what has come down the pipe because of what has happened, we obviously have people who are in desperate need, who need help. And if we don't give them the help and, and the, the benefits that they deserve, they'll never get out of their mess. You look at the Indian reservations across this country. And you only have to look at, at an unbelievable amount of poverty and addiction. Well, how did that happen? Mm. Well, it came because our, our country created this mess with, with Indian reservations. Same thing, just like something must be done at, about Prince Edward County. Mm-hmm. We created this. So what do we do? And I think that there's plenty for us to do. Um, I'm a businessman. I, I don't get a paycheck from the church. I, I have a business, and that's how I get paid. And I have, I've, God has blessed us. He's blessed my company, and, and, and we've done well. What do I do with that money? Mm. Well, <clears throat> we make more money than I need, and we pay our people well. We take care of all of our employees. But what am I doing to use some of that income to bless others who can't necessarily get those those uh, bootstrap kind of things in their own life, right. and we have to. Th- that's a personal choice. It's, it's it's something that we have to intentionally focus on and be good about. I, I just man, if 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 some of the greatest kingdom things on earth could happen if business people become kingdom people, mm. because we can change. I mean, 
small businesses controls what 60% of the economy, maybe more yeah. in this country. And we have an opportunity to make some things right. Mm. So, I mean, I, so I actually didn't spend a lot of time on this question, but when I think about it, it really comes down to, for me personally, I think it's a heart issue in that doing what's right, like do what's right. And not necessarily, you know, looking to give someone a, a handout, which I don't, even, I don't think it even is really a handout. But I think about, first of all, when I give uh, money to a homeless person that's standing outside at a, uh, at a stoplight, um, I don't know what they're going to do with it. There was a time in my life where I was like, well, I'm not going to give it to them because they might go buy alcohol or you know, whatever. But God did a work on my heart and was like, you don't know what they're going to do with it. And regardless of what they do with it, it's, it's in my heart to give. They may be out there and they may be exploiting, you know, that money that I give them. Uh, But what's the right thing to do? And you said something a moment ago too, like if I have more money than I need for myself and I have some money in my pocket and I pull up at that intersection and I deny giving that homeless person, you know, 10 bucks or 20 bucks that I don't really need just because, you know, I'm concerned they may exploit my generosity. I think that is not that's not the life that I want to live or even that I want to teach my children. Yeah. Uh, number one. The other thing is and again, I didn't spend a lot of time here, but it's just true that black people help to build and and for the most part built the, the the generational wealth that exists today in our country was built on the on the, the the labor the slave labor of black people and the if you think about where the generational wealth started for the most part in agriculture who was doing the agriculture and and who was you know planting the seeds and you know sowing uh, the, the fields and the harvest that came out of the reason I say all that is even though um, I don't fully, like, completely understand all the arguments that have to do with reparations, uh, it's clear to me that there's generational wealth that's been passed down all the way even to now to me, and that goes to, to my children, uh, that, that black people have missed out on, even though they were the ones that labored for that wealth to, to happen. So I go back to what's the right thing to do? And it, it's a heart decision that we have to make in doing the right thing for, our, for people. Well, in Scripture, charity um, really meant giving people the opportunity to work. And you can read it over and over in, in mm-hmm. Scripture. When I think about this reparation issue, uh, let's, let's t- look at it from a, from a kingdom standpoint. Um, I don't, we're not going to be able to be Robin Hood, Robin Hood, steal yeah, exactly. money from the rich to give to the poor. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's just not going to happen in our lifetime. So let's go back to personal responsibility. If we understand what charity really is about, it's not just doling out money so people can, can get through the next day. Mm-hmm. I, I think there are plenty of places we should do that and right. we should feed people. and But... What if we gave them the keys to, to making wealth? Mm-hmm. What if we, and when I say wealth, the ability to breathe, yeah. right? right? So what if we are able to concentrate and, and 
bring people into a place where careers mm-hmm. are offered, where small education is is offered, yeah. where small business loans yeah. are 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 um, uh, yeah. supported yeah. by people who can get the loans yeah. and and make those things happen. That that is a huge kingdom endeavor that anybody in business can work on today. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, I just think that it, it's. Um, it's a different way of looking at this. Uh, we're waiting on the government to do something that we should be about already. Yeah, yeah, and right. and so I don't know what the government's going to do about it, but again, let's Personal take the responsibility, responsibility yeah. and uh, try to work. Um, man, we are we're pushing on time yeah, here. Um, I think I would like to, if if you guys are okay. Um, is there anything else in this that that you guys want to cover? Because I I feel like we ought to. Yeah, well, I know, so one of the things that we talked about throughout the weeks uh, were uh, some of the hot buttons or hot terms, and one of them was uh, was Black Lives Matter, and, you know, where do we stand, and how can we be, how can we as a church support it, and I fully uh, congratulate and, and support of all of the people, mostly young people, uh, that have been the voice behind the, the movement, um, and, and some of the actions that have happened and I embrace them, support them, applaud them in any way that I can. Um, I believe that in the reason we've had a lot of this conversation is that the church has been silent on so much, including, um, uh, the issues that have been raised by the black lives matter movement. Um, we have to, as the body of Christ, the body of believers, we have to no longer, we have to break the silence. Uh, we have to come together like we're doing now to unify and be a voice uh, for the church. So I just wanted to, to bring that up because uh, for me, Black Lives Matter is not a movement. I'm, I'm black and I want my life to matter. Like it's, it's my life. Um, so to, to me, it's not just a movement, uh, but I do support the, the work that's being done to protect black lives. And I believe that we as a church have to be the voice that has not been there um, like we're working to do today. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, boy, it's, it's a very interesting topic. Yeah. One, and I think we've tried to cover this uh, in past weeks as, as well. Um, I think that uh, Black Lives Matter is, is something that should roll off of our tongues easily mm-hmm. and that, that we should embrace it. Regarding the organization and what the church's role is with the organization, it, I think we can support any organization that's doing kingdom work as yeah. long as it's kingdom work. Yeah. And when it breaks away from God's word, then we obviously can't support yeah. those things. I, I've thought about this many times. There are so many organizations that we've been able to be part of up to a point. Yeah. But when it gets you know off track, uh, we we are. Uh, I'll never forget the, the resident aliens uh, that Peter's talking about. We're foreigners. Li- we're, mm-hmm. we're foreigners living in this land yeah. because we have a different king, a different kingdom. And so uh, a kingdom principle is a Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And if you, you want to take it even further, if you go to the parable of the 99 and the 1 right now, the one is the one we need to be paying attention to, and we, mm-hmm. we've had those discussions. Yeah. But but again, it, it really must come back to a kingdom. Yeah. Kingdom venture. Yeah. yeah. Guys, I want to. Uh, and again, we've got more questions, but I just we're going to not have time to do yeah. this. 
I'd like to ask a question. My question. I, I need to think of my answer for this, too. But, um, we've been doing this for nine weeks. Uh, and by the way, thank you guys so much for, thank you. for jumping in yeah. and, and doing thank this you with, you know, together. And this has been really great. What has been the biggest thing that you've taken hold of over these last nine weeks? What, what's happened inside of you that God's been doing as we've been going through this? I'd be really interested to, to know what that is. And Dorian's looking at you, Jeff. Yeah. So you're yeah. Oh, I was going to look at him. <laughs> I look, I look <laughs> well, hard both right. looking at you. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I think it's hard to um, quantify in just a, a brief moment or two. I know we're, our time is running short and we got to take communion. But I think one of the biggest things um, for me is... Um, just taking a taking an introspective look at my own life, um, and trying to find blind spots, trying to um, um, unearth scripture in a new light, um, and and dig into what is the church's responsibility, what should we be doing, what should our voice be, um, and so there's been all of these things that's kind of all these ingredients that's gone into the cake the last. Uh, two months in in my own personal life and um, just reevaluating my life and leadership um, mm-hmm. and my approach to it and um, and and what needs to be uh, some of the driving factors and forces I do think and we've talked about this in the last few weeks um, that uh, the church especially the Western American church we need to pause and I think God has given us a perfect opportunity. Um, and we need to take an honest look at, hey, what have we been doing? How have we been operating? Um, what's been right? What's maybe been off base? And what do we need to adjust? Because I think God has given us this opportunity. We read the last couple of weeks out of Jeremiah where God says, hey, I'm calling your attention to some of this stuff. You, you, you got some stuff you need to change. And then there's that phrase, even now if you change it, I'll be with you. Um, and finding God's mercy in that for my own life and saying, hey, what do, what do I need to keep? Um, where, did I, where have I got it right in my own life and leadership? And where have I missed the mark? Um, and, and allowing God, and, and especially in, in issues directly related to um, race, uh, talking to black brothers and sisters and saying, hey, help me. I need your voice in this area. And um, allowing them and God to speak into that. And, and just being a more whole person and a more whole leader. Um, do you feel like um, do you feel like it's going to change your ministry? I do. I do. I feel like it. Feel like it has to some degree already. Um, but I do know that it's been a definite shift um, in my own life and leadership. And so, um, how that will ultimately end, <laughs> only God knows. Right. But I do know that it has, it has shifted. Um, and to be quite frank with you, like there's been these moments in my life and leadership that I've kind of had this light shine in in terms of like, hey, what is the church's role? Um, you know, in, in terms of our place in the world, and and I, just in the moment of transparency and honesty, like sometimes it would kick against church like I know it, yeah. church like I'm used to it, 
And so it was very easy for me to kind of fold back into the familiar and kind of put that off in the corner. But I think what this particular season has done in my own life is like, you can't put that in the corner anymore. This, um, this isn't just an issue. Yeah. Right. This is at the heart of who the church is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. It's oh so, my gosh. Yeah. Dorian. Yeah. Uh, man, it's been, it's been great. First of all, for, for me personally, um, I was just thinking about right when you asked the question, I was thinking about how in life, life is, is so full of interruptions and it's not whether or not you're going to be interrupted. It's how are you going to respond, uh, when those interruptions come and, um, you don't always know, and sometimes you'll look back on it and you're like, I wish I would have responded a little bit differently. Uh, this has been uh, almost even therapeutic for me in some ways, because, or, or a healthy um, outlet is having these conversations uh, for me, because you don't always know how to respond in those interruptions, and sometimes you would like to do them differently, but you learn from them each time. And it's been just like together with the two of you guys, like a nine week learning of responding to this specific interruption. And I'm glad, I'm glad actually that we talked about in the beginning that we were all interrupted. You know, we were all shut down. We all had to embrace, you know, this, this issue that for too long we were silent on. And me personally, I had to repent. Like, why hasn't this pricked my heart? Like it just has in the past, you know, few months. Um, the other thing is uh, learn the value of conversation and that uh, people who truly care about you are willing to invest in conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think we shared this before, but sometimes you'll ask someone, hey, you know, Jeffrey, how are you doing? All I really want you to say is I'm fine. God, I'm blessed in the Lord. I'm yeah. highly favored. Yeah. You know, God is good all the time. You know, that's all I really I don't want you to tell me how you're really doing. But when. If I care about you, Jeffrey, I want you to really tell me how yeah. you're doing. And I want to have that conversation. And I feel like uh, this season, maybe more than any other, we, we witnessed that, uh, whether it's on social media, whether it's with our families or whether it's in our, in our communities, in our churches, are the people who we care about and the people who care about us. We're willing to pause, have conversations, be swift to hear, slow to wrath and, and, um, and to uh, be slow to speak because we care yeah and i really believe this table and the other tables we've used has been like a table of caring and conversation and i uh i hope that what i feel now at this you know at the end this conclusion will continue in my life but also in our church and and in our in our churches as well i feel like an entire new world has opened up to me and um i've always I've always had a heart um, for black people in my life from, from the desegregation days. Can't even think, say something. Whatever. It's good. Desegregation days yeah. uh, when I was in junior high school. And uh, I knew that what I'd always seen was wrong. I've watched as people in front of me, black people, hurt. And I... I, my heart was just torn apart. This is awful. And unfortunately, I, I just didn't pay attention after that. And so for years, I've had the blinders on, you know, 
love everybody, God loves everybody. But um, what what happened to me over the just in nine weeks? I've learned more about the black race in our country than I've ever known. You know, in in all the years before, I understand. I mean, the the smallest things have created the biggest eye-opening things for me. Where where did all of these traits of the black community come from? What where did the, even the church, the black church, where did this all come from? And 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 what about the 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 black theology? That I mean, just from a theological standpoint. Oh, it's so rich. Yeah. It is. I have missed the richness of the black culture in my life. And that is the one thing that I have, have discovered uh, through these nine weeks that unlike any other time in my life, it, it keeps bringing me back to the book of Ephesians that mm. God brought us together. Yes. And until we get that, until we understand that, we are not going to experience the power that comes with us being together. Mm. And and so I, I feel like an old kid in the candy store, right? I, I mean, it's just, this can be so amazing. Yeah. And I, I am so humbled and I am so thankful uh, that we've had this time together. I am repentant in my own heart about just not paying attention and, and not caring enough. And uh, so I intend to live the rest of my life uh, passionate about the cause of unity mm-hmm. between the blacks and whites in our country. Yeah. And I know there's so many other points of racism throughout the world and, and color issues in our own country. This is the one that I think could change everything mm-hmm. for us. And I, that's, that's where I'm at. That's good. We need mm-hmm. to have communion. And, and yeah. what a great way for us to end our time together today. Um, I, I want to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm going to start with verse 18. Uh, The Apostle Paul says this. He says, First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And and what he was really talking about was them meeting as a people. Mm -hmm. There, There are divisions among you. When you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper, in communing, in, in being together, the, the Ephesians thought. Some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. Now this, he's talking about a meal, he's talking about an assembly, we're talking about a way of life here. Uh, you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others actually get drunk. And we just, we don't care. It, he goes on, And he talks about the communion that we're about to participate in. So he says, So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, that's all of us, without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Um, I do not want to do that. I do not want us to do that. I don't want our churches to do that. So I would like for us to just take a moment to pause, to think about all the things that God has done, what He's teaching us. One more time, God, help us to listen. 
help us to learn, help us to love. What's in the way? What do we need to rid ourselves of? Let's just take a moment, just all of you, if you would just join us during this time. Let's pause, pray, confess, and then you guys leave us in community. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 47, Jesus speaks these words that I'm about to read. And as I prepare to read, just as a reminder, if you have not done so already, please uh, gather, whether it's bread or anything that you have in your your kitchen or um, anything that you can use and something to drink doesn't have to be wine or, or grape juice or something to drink as you can partake in this Holy Communion with us. In John chapter 6 verse 47, Jesus says this, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. In verse 51, Jesus says these words, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. At this time, if you have your bread or whatever you you were able to grab out of your kitchen, if you would take it in your hand with us, and if you would repeat these words with us. Thank you, Father, for the gift of your son. By the stripes that fell on his back, my body is healed from the crown of my head to the very soles of my feet. Every cell, every organ, every function of my body is healed, restored, and renewed. In Jesus' name, I believe and I receive. Now eat of the bread. In our text of 1 Corinthians 11, Pastor Greg began to meet with Paul is recounting the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples. And after he had broken the bread, which represented his body, he goes on and 
quotes him in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 25. It says, In the same way, Jesus took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. The blood of Jesus was a sign of the new covenant. In the original language, that word covenant literally means to cut. And so whenever in Scripture there would be a covenant established in the Old Testament, they did it with the sacrificial system. And then in the New Testament, Jesus became the Lamb of God and His body was cut and it bled in order to establish the New Covenant that the New Testament talks and tells us about. That there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither... There is neither Greek nor non-Greek. There's neither male nor female, but that we are all one body. We belong to the same kingdom. And so when we drink this cup here in this moment, representing the blood of Jesus that was shed for this new covenant, this new way of living as a people in relationship and in communion with its God, let us remember that the issues that we've been talking about, about race, loving one another, in spite of different colors, different cultures, that we are one body, that there was a high price that was paid for that to become a reality. And that it is our job and as our obligation as followers of Jesus, as part of his body, to make sure that that covenant that he shed his blood for, a one people in relationship with one God, would always be a living witness in the earth. And so let us, in this moment, partake of the cup as a symbolic reference to the blood that Jesus shed for this new covenant between God and man. let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus. And we thank you, Jesus, for doing what none of us were neither capable or worthy of doing. You took our place of punishment and condemnation shame and in return you gave us a life to the full and it was only through your shed blood that we were brought into this new covenant of grace in which your love and your favor will never depart from us Jesus we thank you we adore you and our prayer is that not only will this communion be a remembrance of what you did for us, 
but it will remind us to come together as a body, as one body, to honor you with our lives is our prayer. And we give you all glory. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, folks, thank you for being with us uh, for these nine weeks. Um, I find it to be life-changing, and we are going to press forward, see what God has for us as churches together and personally for each of us and the responsibilities that God's placed on us. It's going to be great. Hey, in closing, we've got a little gift for you. It's kind of a wrap of, of where we've been over nine weeks. I promise it's not long. You're going to love it. We love you, and uh, again, thank you. God bless you. Love you. Love you. He says, and this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. We were all created in the image of God. White, black, Asian, Hispanic. As a mother, I'm angry, I'm hurt, and I'm tired. Yeah. And I'm tired. And I want to hear the church do more. The unfortunate thing is that even in the church, uh, this is a subject that most people will kind of turn a blind eye to. The church is the hope of the world. Yeah. The church is yeah. how this is going to take place. But we can't just learn and listen and sit there. We get to ultimately reconciliation and restoration but I think in the same manner we can rush towards responsibility or action having not sat with the gravity of what's going on around us but Jesus as far as I can tell within the scripture and in his ministry show me where he was trying to put together some systematic theology hmm. He wasn't. He wasn't trying to come and create a belief system. He was coming to create a new way of being and a new way of living and a new life. Not we are God. going to have to walk this yeah. out mm -hmm. in front of our black brothers and sisters yeah. because we need to win mm -hmm. that friendship, that love. What we need to do as believers, as Christians, as kingdom citizens is not just allow the things that hit home for us to affect our hearts, but we really need what the Bible talks about as a circumcision of the heart <laughs> that will allow us to be touched and to empathize with other people. For a long time, the church's voice has sounded a lot like Uncle Sam and, and, and whatever political, and whether it's a right-wing agenda or a left-wing agenda or donkeys or elephants or whatever, it's like Jesus is Lord. And his voice is what matters. Yeah. So if we don't apply a lens of justice or a lens of liberation or a lens of the least of these, I do think we miss the intent of what the scripture really is talking about. We're not American citizens more than we are kingdom, kingdom yes. citizens. That's right. By means of his one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. I'll give you a little, little Greek thing here. Partial and piecemeal, it really means prejudice and preferences. Mm, At some so point, we lay down our prejudices and our preferences. The difficulty is even those minor ones, it's still, it still hurts. Because what you're being judged as, for me, for example, my accomplishments, my 
status, none of that matters. There's one thing that somebody saw. There's one thing that somebody decided was important about me. And it was the only thing. You know, this issue of systemic racism and marginalization, it, it, it's big because it's not one person's role to interrupt it, to yeah. disrupt it and dismantle it. But those who really benefit from the structure, who benefit from the system, they do have a very key role in addressing things. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are not supposed to be focused on our own self-preservation more than we are on serving and loving others. Proverbs 3, 27 to 28, it says, never walk away from someone who deserves help. Mm. Your hand is God's hand for that person. That's why we gotta have this conversation. Yeah. And if the church doesn't, who, who's gonna? You don't need to defend God's word. You don't need to defend God. He yeah. doesn't need your help. What you need to do, what I need to do, is fall on my face before God and say, God, what do you want? In America, in our country, and even in the American church, one of the methods that the enemy has used is to divide people based on strictly color, class, or anything that makes us different. As believers, we must attack it spiritually, knowing that this is a method of Satan to divide us. And he's telling these people that are scattered to all different types of countries, they're living in all different countries, all and all different government. people groups, right. and all different governments, and he's saying, but that's not who you are. That government, that political system does not define you, nor does it speak for you. And you better be careful that you don't use its voice instead of God's voice. If, if I could have one prayerful hope today, it's that we listen, yeah. we see, we learn, we humble ourselves, and we commit to do whatever it is that God asks of us to do. The only way to deal with an illness and a disease and sin is you got to cut it out. Right here in our nation, in America, there is a tremendous mission for us right now. We all have that responsibility. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen.